Matt, I'm glad I did not listen to your uh, advice when deciding to approach Malia about going out on a date because uh, tomorrow we're actually celebrating our seventh anniversary, seventh wedding anniversary. I have to be honest with you, as I was preparing for the sermon and getting ready, I was feeling kind of nervous. I'm used to working with small kids and teenagers, and I'm doing like shorter talks. And so with that, there comes a lot of distractions when you're working with kids, right? So I was thinking in order to make me feel a little more comfortable, you guys could like get out your phones, start texting your best friends, (laughs) maybe go on TikTok and start scrolling through them. Um, Maybe Mr. Clark, you could start crinkling a water bottle and throw it over at Ted or something like that. Thank you. You're in timeout now, Matt. Five minutes, then you can go play. Uh, Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity that we have here today to hear your word preached. Thank you for the, the space that you've provided. I pray that you would speak through me as I have nothing of value or worth to offer apart from you. Give us eyes to see your word and ears to hear it this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I shared a bit with you already about the work that we do. And our job, just like everybody's job, has highs and lows to it. Six months ago in January, we had just come back from a soccer tournament in Akron, Ohio. And this is a tournament that our teams have had a lot of success at before. We've had teams that have won. And so the groups that we were taking this year, we had high hopes for them because they had a lot of talented players. But we left the tournament feeling really discouraged. Because leading up to it, kids weren't attending practices, they weren't coming to games, they weren't very committed, and that ended up showing in the tournament. And we underachieved based on what we thought we could do. While we were there, we also had some difficult conversations with kids about things and activities they were getting involved with. Kids were hanging out with the wrong crowds, getting involved with drugs, uh, with alcohol, with guns, difficult conversations about girls and how you're supposed to treat them. And Malia and I, we were talking about it, and we were just feeling so down, so discouraged, so disappointed in, in the, search, the situations and circumstances our kids were finding themselves in. And just as we were talking about that, out of nowhere, our oldest daughter, Tatiana, she broke into song and started to sing. We do soccer so we can tell kids about Jesus. Yeah, we do soccer so we can tell kids about Jesus. (laughs) Malia and I both stopped and looked at each other and we laughed because it was really cute, right? It wasn't cute when I did it. It's better when a four-year-old, four-year-old does it, right? But what Tatiana was showing us is that we had shifted our focus off of God and we were so enamored with our circumstances, so focused on the situations that we were facing, that we lost sight of our purpose and our vision for why we were doing ministry. It's not so that we can win tournaments or so that we can win games or have the best behaved kids. It's so that we can invest in their lives, share the truth that's in the word of God with them, so that they can know that they can have hope in this world, that there's a God who loves them, who cares about them. All we can do is make the most of the opportunities that we have with them and be faithful to share God's word. Let them know that we love them. We care for them. We're going to be with them no matter what, no matter what choices they make. So Tatiana helped us, helped us to do that. Some of you this morning may be facing obstacles or bad situations in life, hardships that leave you feeling discouraged. 
You could be feeling frustrated. You could have heartache. There's all kinds of bad things that you could be feeling this morning. It can be so easy for us to shift our focus off of God and just focus on the situations that we're in and become enamored and paralyzed by them. Tatiana, she helped us refocus on God. She helped us shift our focus back to our vision, why we were doing what we were doing. And it's my prayer that through the power of God's word this morning, that he would be able to to do that for you as well. This morning, we're going to be looking at Psalm chapter 16. So if you have your Bibles, I'll invite you to look there with me, or you can follow along on the screen in the back. While you go there, I'm going to give you some context about this psalm. Psalm 16 was written by David. David had already been anointed king of Israel back in 1 Samuel chapter 16, but Saul was still the reigning king of Israel. Saul did not like David. He was coming after him, pursuing him, trying to kill him. David was a fugitive on the run. He didn't know where he could go for safety. He was living in uh, caves on the run constantly from Saul and his men that were pursuing him. So as we read this psalm that David wrote during that time, we're going to see what David's focus was on. Was it on his circumstances or was it on something else? So look with me, verse 1, chapter 16 of Psalms. David says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, You are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after me, another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take the lips, their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life in your presence. There is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now, reading that psalm, if I hadn't given you the backstory of what was going on in David's life, you'd probably have no idea what the situation that David was facing in his life. As I read through here, I see nothing that he talks about circumstance. There's just nothing but positive things that David talks about. He says, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. He's praising God. He's saying there's nothing good apart from God. His, his whole being rejoices. He has joy. If it was me, if I face any sort of bad circumstance, a bad situation, I start com- grumbling and I start complaining. If I was David, I would be like, God, you promised that I was going to be king of Israel, but here I am, a fugitive. I should be living in the palace, having the best food that the, the nation of Israel has to offer. But instead, I'm living in caves. I'm on the run. I don't know where my next meal is going to come from. I should be living in security and peace in the palace, knowing that the guards and the, and the army of Israel are protecting me. But instead, David's on the run for them as a fugitive. That's what I would be doing. I would be complaining. But we don't see David do that here. He's focused on something else. David is saying, focus on your vision not your circumstances. Focus on your vision, not your circumstances. That's what Tatiana helped us do. She helped us see that we were focusing on our vision, focusing on our circumstances and not our vision. So I've used this word a couple times, vision. What does vision mean? A lot of times we hear the word vision used in the context of a sports organization or a business. 
and then they have like a vision statement, right? They have a strong vision statement. A vision statement gives your organization purpose. It gives you direction. It sets the course you're on. It's the why behind what you are doing. Chick-fil-A. Everybody knows Chick-fil-A, right? Has anyone had a bad experience at Chick-fil-A? Anytime you go to Chick-fil-A, you always meet like the most pleasant people in the world. Why is that? They're always smiling. They always, whenever you pull up to take their order, there can be 33 cars in the drive-thru and it takes you like five minutes to go through. If you go to McDonald's down the street, there's one car and it takes you the same amount of time. Why is that? Their food is so amazing. Their service is outstanding. Why is that? You go, you order your food and they say, hi, may I take your order? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. My pleasure. Have a nice day. It could be 130 degrees outside and they say the same thing every time. My pleasure. They have such a good mood. They don't let their circumstances affect them, right? I spend a lot of time in drive throughs at fast food with the kids. I go through McDonald's very regularly and I order like 22 McDoubles and 16 McChickens. And there's a long pause on the other end. And then I hear, ah, I'm going to have to go get a manager. You, you can't order this much food. You, you need to call ahead first. Can you pull around? Because I, I don't know that you're actually going to gonna eat all this food. Who's going to eat all this? And I try to explain. I feel apologetic. Like, I'm sorry I came to you. I'm sorry I'm giving you business. I'm sorry. That's the way they make me feel, right? At Chick-fil-A, you never get that experience. The reason is because Chick-fil-A has such a strong vision statement. Here's Chick-fil-A's vision. To glorify God by being a faithful steward of all that is entrusted to us. To have a positive influence on all who come into contact with Chick-fil-A. Everything that Chick-fil-A does, all the employees from the top all the way down, they have bought into this vision, right? They know why they're doing what they're doing. They have a purpose. They have a vision. And everybody's bought into that. And that's why they're able to provide such outstanding service, such outstanding food, is because they have such a strong vision. When your actions, your words, your thoughts, everything you do is done with your vision in mind, regardless of your circumstances, you can overcome them. You can have joy. You can have peace. You can have security. You can have patience. That is not to say that there is never a time where you should feel sad or grieve or be disappointed. Of course, there are appropriate times for that. But God does not want us to be paralyzed by our obstacles. He doesn't want us to be paralyzed by our situations. God wants to bless us in our lives, and he wants to empower us to overcome those things so that we can, like David, say, I have joy, I have peace, I have security. So vision. There's three things about vision here that I want us to see in Psalm chapter 16. First thing is the content of our vision, the content of our vision. Second, the claim of our vision. How do we make it ours? And the third thing is the charge of our vision. What are we supposed to do with it? The content of our vision. Verse 8 of Psalm 16 has the key verse. This is the key verse of understanding David's vision. David says in verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. David's focus is on God, right? It's not on his circumstances. He's looking at God. And because he's looking at God... He's not looking at his obstacles. He sees God before him. He's not focused on him. He knows no matter what comes his way, he can overcome them, right? So David's focus is God. And more specifically, it's on glorifying God. We, hear, we use that term a lot, glorifying God. What does it mean to glorify God? We can glorify God in many different ways. You can do it by loving him, loving others, trusting him, obeying him, praising him, uh, being satisfied in him. 
We see David doing, doing these things here. This is why, that's why we were created, is to glorify God. In Isaiah 43, 7, it says, Everyone who was called by my name, whom I created for my glory, who I made and formed. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, the Apostle Paul says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. God created us with a purpose, with the meaning of glorifying him. That's why he made us. He wants us to glorify him. This does not say that when you glorify me, when you praise me, I'm going to take away your bad circumstances. I'm going to take away your bad situations. David is still in the same situation. It doesn't change for him after he writes this psalm. David is still being pursued by Saul. But God wants us to rejoice always, no matter what our circumstances are. He wants, to praise, he wants us to praise him. The one aspect of glorifying God that I want us to see here that really stands out is the satisfaction that David gets from God. He trusts in God to meet his needs. He trusts in God to meet his desires. If we go through this psalm from, from the top to the bottom, we see in verse 1, he says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. So David knows he goes to God for security. He can trust him for security. God has made this promise to him as king. He knows that he can trust God. He's not trusting in his own abilities. Verse 5, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. Verse 6, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. David is satisfied. He's content with what God has given for him. He's content with what God has provided for him. Verse 7, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. David's not relying on his own wisdom, his own knowledge. He says God provides that for him, right? And we get God's wisdom first is by the fear of the Lord. In, in Proverbs, which David's son, David's son Solomon writes, he talks about the fear of the Lord is the beginning of understanding and knowledge, right? So David, David gets his wisdom by spending time with God, by in prayer, by knowing his word. And we can do the same thing. He gets his wisdom from him. Verses, verse 9, we see peace and joy that he gets from God. Verse 11, also joy again, pleasures forevermore. David is going to God to meet his needs. To meet his needs for satisfaction. If you're like me, I, go to others, I can go to other sources to have my needs for satisfaction, contentment, purpose fulfilled. It can be work. It can be friends. It could be family. It could be hobbies sports, your kids, your spouse, any of those things. Don't get me wrong. All of those things are great. You can find meaning. You can find fulfillment. You can find joy. You can find pleasures in those things. Those are gifts from God. Those are very good things. But we are not meant to find our full, complete satisfaction and meaning and purpose in those things. That's not what they're meant to do. If you look to those things to meet your needs, you're going to end up being disappointed. You're going to be discontented. Um, has anybody, has anybody been following the, uh, Johnny Depp and Amber Heard trial that just wrapped up some people? Okay. There's a couple hands. Okay. So I had never, I, I know who Johnny Depp is, but I never heard of Amber. Um, sorry, it's a bad pun. I just thought I'd try it. Um, so these are two super famous people, right? These are two celebrities. They have everything the world would say you want to pursue. They have power. They have fame. They have influence. They have money. All of those things. And in this trial that we got to see, we got to look into their private lives to see what the life of one of these people is like. And frankly, like hearing the stories of what goes on, I can say nothing else but like it is sad. Like these people are desperate. They, they don't have hope in this world. 
They're, they're trying to mask the pain that they're going through by drugs, alcohol, whatever. It's just sad looking at it. They have everything the world would say you want to pursue. Fame, fortune, all of it. And yet these people are some of the most sad people you would see, like without hope, without purpose, without meaning. There was a famous English author who said, uh, who, he was super famous, wrote a lot of great novels. And somebody asked him, what would you go back and tell your younger self? And he said, I would go back and tell my younger self that when you reach the top, there's nothing there. People spend so much time, like, if you put your focus in your work, like, my work is going to give me fulfillment. My, my work is going to meet my needs. My work is where I'm going to find my purpose. And you throw yourself into that, throw yourself into that, and you're not getting that out of it because you won't. You can find some temporary satisfaction, some temporary joy from that, but it's, you're going to burn out doing it. And you're going to say, well, there's something wrong with my job. I need to move on to something else. If you make your spouse the person and you say, my spouse is going to meet all my needs. They're going to meet my desires. They're going to make me happy. I'm going to find peace in them. Your spouse is unable to meet this unrealistic expectation. They're a sinner just like we are. They're an imperfect person and they're not able to do that. They're not meant to do that. And when we put this unhealthy expectation on our spouse, they're going to burn out because they can't meet our expectations. We're going to get frustrated with them. We're going to be discontented. Why? I think part of the reason why the divorce rate is so high is because people look to their spouse, they elevate them as this person that I'm going to have all my needs met in you. And when they're not able to do that, they say, well, there's something wrong with my spouse. I need to find a new one. The problem is we're putting our, our focus on the wrong thing. God is the one that's meant to satisfy our needs. He's the one that's able to do that. The amazing thing about God is that he never burns out. He never runs out of energy. He has everything that he can that we need. He can provide it for us. When we go to God alone to satisfy our needs, to meet our desires, we're actually better able to love those that are around us. We're able to bring peace into a chaotic situation. We're able to bring love into an angry situation. We're able to calm things down. We're able to have security amongst chaos. We're able to have contentment when we have nothing. David's vision here, glorify God, have my needs satisfied in God. There's another part to David's vision that I want us to see, and that's in verses 5 and 6. David says, The Lord is my chosen cup, is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Now, David was the youngest boy in his big family, right? So, in terms of an earthly inheritance, he could probably expect very little, if anything. An earthly inheritance also is something that can be stolen, right? We've seen that in the Bible happen before. It can be lost. It can be corrupted. It cannot be all that we hoped it would be. This is not what David is talking about. He's not talking about an earthly inheritance. David's inheritance is God and all his goodness, all his glory. It is eternal life spent in the presence of God experiencing his joys. This is inheritance, a spiritual inheritance, an eternal inheritance that can't be lost like, a, like an earthly one. It can't be stolen. It is held secure. Notice how David said that God holds his lot. David, David knows that God holds what is his. I remember when I was a boy, my brother and I would play this game where my dad would hold something in his hand. It could be like a little toy or something. And we would try to pry open his fingers, use all of our strength and energy to open his hands, but we just couldn't do it, right? His grip was too strong. He was holding on to it. There's nothing we could do to take it out of, out of his hand. And just like that, our Heavenly Father, he holds our inheritance. He holds our salvation. It's secure in him. It's not up to us. He holds it. We can't lose it. The content of our vision, glorify God, be satisfied in him, beautiful inheritance. 
Now, what is the claim of the vision? How do we make it ours? How do we get this vision? How do we find this satisfaction? How do we get this beautiful inheritance? Well, to receive the inheritance of a father, you have to be one of his children, right? That's how it works if you're getting an inheritance. So the question is, who is God's child? Is everyone's God's child or is, or is it something else? In John 1.12, John writes, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. God loves everybody, but God's children are those who have placed their faith and trust in the work that Jesus did on the cross. You see, all of us have a problem, and that problem is sin. I say this with our soccer kids all the time. Sin is anything that we think, say, or do that does not please God. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us are sinners. We're all guilty of it. And the Bible says that there's a punishment for sin. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. That's not the end of the verse, though. There's an encouraging part that comes right after it. It says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. He is the one that can save us. We can't fix the problem on our own. We can't save ourselves from our sin. Only Jesus can do that. Only God can do that. That's why God sent his son to die on the cross to take the punishment for our sin. And when we make Jesus the object of our faith and we trust in him alone, not in our own works, not in our own abilities. When I've, I've used some of this lesson before with our, with our soccer kids and I say, how do you get salvation? How do you get eternal life? And every answer I hear is about something that we do. They say, oh, we have to sacrifice, make sacrifices in your life. We have to pray more. Well, you have to, you have to give money. You have to help people. It's all about me, 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 good things that I can do. There's no amount of good things that we can do to erase the sin that's in our lives. We needed someone, a perfect person, to die a substitutionary death for us, and that's what Jesus did. And like I said, when we make him the object of our faith, we get that inheritance. We trust in him. We have the inheritance that David wrote about here in this psalm. If we skip down a little bit more, Pastor Matt referenced this earlier. I didn't know that today was the talking about Pentecost. Verses 9 and 10 here, it says, Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. Uh, Peter, at the day of Pentecost, he actually references this psalm. So it's pretty cool that, that we're talking about that today. In verse 23 of chapter 2, I just want to read this real quick. So Peter quotes the psalm. As Peter's preaching to this great crowd that is gathered, he, quote, he quotes some of this psalm and he says this jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of god you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men god raised him up loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it for david says concerning him i saw the lord always before me for he is at my right hand and i will not be shaken therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced my flesh also dwells in hope For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the path of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. So this crowd that Peter was preaching to, they didn't have hope. They were trusting in themselves. But Jesus here, we see him, he didn't stay in the grave. He rose from the dead. 
He is the Holy One that David references here. He says that your Holy One will not see corruption. That's a reference to Jesus. It's a prophecy about Jesus. The grave wouldn't hold him. David knew that this life was not it. And when you make Jesus the object of your faith and you trust in him, you know that your soul is secure. It is held in the Father's hand and you can experience eternal joys, eternal pleasure. You can have these things to overcome your circumstances that you face. That's why I do soccer ministry. That's why Malia and I work with kids in Lenny is because we want them to be able to have hope. This is a broken world with a lot of sadness in it. If you turn on the news for a little bit, you can see all the brokenness that's in the world. And there's no other source that I have found than this book to find hope, to find meaning, to find purpose. So the content of our vision, beautiful inheritance, glorify God, be satisfied in him. The claim of our vision, make it yours by trusting in Jesus and him alone as your savior. So as I bring our message to, the clo- to a close, I want to ask you a question. What is the vision for your life? Do you have a purpose? What is your purpose? I know what my purpose is. I found it in this book. It's not out there in a job. It's not out there in, in my kids. It's not out there in a sports or a hobby. It's found in Jesus alone. Can you say like David, you have confidence in God? You have security in him? If not, my challenge to you is, will you claim the promise that David has here? Will you make the beautiful inheritance yours by trusting in Jesus alone as your Savior? Because I know of no other way to get that. There's no other way that I've seen. We work with kids that have a lot of different religious backgrounds. We have kids that are Muslim. We have kids that are Hindu. We have kids that are Buddhist. We have kids that are Jewish. Pretty much everything, right? And when I talk to them, they all have the same, same basic answers. Oh, it's me trusting in what I can do. I can, I can do it. That's how I get to heaven. That's, that's not what the Bible says. I don't, that, that's not, that's not what's true. The Bible says trust in Jesus alone. That's where you find your meaning. That's where you find your purpose. If you've already made this, this, your vision and you aren't experiencing God's satisfaction, it could be because, it could be because like me, the story I shared earlier, you've shifted your focus off of your vision. You've shifted it off of God and you're so focused on the circumstances that you're facing in life. And so you're missing out on the, on the pleasures and the joy and the hope and the security that God promises you. It can be really easy to shift our focus off of God, right? There's all this chaos going on in the world. Prices are going up for everything. We have inflation. So if you're hope, you're focused on, on your bank account where you're going to say, well, I need more money. I need to be able to fill up my gas tank. I need this. I need that. If, if, if you're focused on security, there's all kinds of terrible things going on in the world. There's shootings, uh, muggings, wars going on. If you're trusting in yourself to keep yourself secure, you're focusing on your situation. You're focusing on the circumstances. You're going to miss out on what God has in store for you. So my challenge for you is to shift your focus off of your circumstances and look back to God and you focus on him. Lastly, if you've claimed this vision as yours, you are getting your satisfaction from God. You're not looking to other sources to meet your needs fully. You're looking to him only. What are you doing with this knowledge? What are you doing with what you have? Are you sharing it with other people? This is great news that our world needs to hear. They desperately need to hear it. Who are you, who are you telling this to? Who are you sharing it with? It could be a neighbor, it could be a co-worker, it could be a friend, it could be family, whoever. It doesn't have to be like a super intense conversation. It could just be a question. Ask them about a current event. Use that as, as an opportunity to start sharing with them. 
When I, I used to work at a grocery store and I just have conversations with people. I don't know, for whatever reason, maybe it was the influence of my mom. My mom would like always witness to everybody. My mom would always like start conversation. It was really awkward for me because I'm sitting there at the table at Eden Park like, please don't spit in our food. But my mom was like bold to share the truth. There's no other hope that we have than what's in this book. If you love other people, you want to share this truth with them. Don't sit on it. Don't hold it for yourselves. Make sure other people know about it.